It's Amy's Table, a girl's guide to living with Amy Tobin on Q102. Pull up a chair and join us. In the span of a week in April 2009, Robin Mather was laid off from her job at the Chicago Tribune and saw her marriage of 12 years crumble. Devastated, she retreated to a small cottage in her native Michigan, and she's an award-winning food writer and editor for three decades who suddenly had to live on $40 a week. In her new book, The Feast Nearby, Robin writes about how she rediscovered the joys of cooking and the benefits of eating locally, and she's joining us today on Amy's Table. Hi, Robin, how are you? Hi, Amy, I'm very well. Thanks for having me today. Well, a lot better than back in 2009, huh? Yeah, much better now. <laughs> oh, definitely. Well, you know, the book, uh, the book it's called uh, The Feast Nearby, talks about eating locally. And, and in that $40 a week, did you discover that that was actually a more reasonable way to eat or more expensive? Well, no. I, I mean, obviously, as a professional food writer for many, many years, I was used to shopping in a very different way than I suddenly was doing. What surprised me, though, was that even on that very limited grocery budget of $40 a week, I still had plenty of money to buy produce to can and preserve so that by November, my grocery bill had dropped to about $15. Wow. Well, you know, of course, that's how our grandmothers might have have operated their kitchen budget, but that's really being rediscovered again. And it is, as you mentioned in the book, kind of a joyful way to manage your family's food. Oh, my. You know, there's nothing. Now, I want to make something clear, Amy. I was not doing huge amounts of canning every week. I was doing maybe, you know, six or seven jars of something Mm -hmm. a week. And, but the thing is that over time, you're building a pantry, and by the end of the growing season, to go down and look at my pantry shelves in my basement, filled with enough food to see me and, and six other people through the winter, was a tremendous source of satisfaction. I imagine you would feel almost smug. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I hesitate to say that, but I certainly felt a great deal of pride and... Yeah. Um, a sense of accomplishment in knowing that I had um, looked out for myself and, and looked to the future and taken care of myself in that way. Well, that is, I think, something that people are discovering in such a um, sort of awe-inspiring way across the country as there is the advent of the home gardener and people being able to realize, oh my God, I can grow a salad for my family. I can, I can you know... Um, grow the tomatoes and have a great sandwich or a great salad, and then to enjoy them again when the season is over just brings that feeling right back to you. Yes, and, and in fact, that's a double satisfaction because if you've, if you've been able to do a garden and to grow the, the produce that you're then going to preserve, certainly you take a lot of satisfaction in the growing. Mm-hmm. And then to uh, revisit that satisfaction in the eating is is doubly pleasing, I think. And the giving. To be able yes. to share with people a jar of something that you've put up is, is also feels really good. Yes, you know, I make that point early on in the book that having enough to share is, for me, one of the most profound definitions of wealth. So if I have enough... Uh, say, strawberry preserves on hand that I can share them with you, then I feel like a wealthy woman. 
Well, and you know what else? I think that uh, while it is an accomplishment to create some strawberry preserves, it's also very easy. But if you give it to someone who has never done so, they really think you're, you know, a rocket scientist. <laughs> well, yes, there is that as well. And, 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 of course, the other component there is just as if your grandmother made you a quilt, even if the quilt was not finely stitched and even if it was not beautifully executed by, uh, you know, most standards, you're still going to cherish it because it was a gift from someone you cared about. That's right. So the the gift of those um, home-preserved um, jams, jellies, salsas, those kinds of things, um, they show a special sort of token of appreciation f- both for the giver and for the, the giftee, if you will. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's coming to be that time of year where people are able to visit the U-Pick farms, or if they're growing berries, they might start to be coming up in their yard. And chapter two in your book, you talk all about strawberries and snapping turtles, I should add. Um, (laughs) But I don't think we're going to preserve any snapping turtles today. But tell me a little bit about, you know, your experience with strawberries. Well, Michigan is a a great fruit state, as you know, Mm -hmm. and Southwest Michigan in particular is a great area for fruit. So we had plenty, plenty, plenty of wonderful berry farms to both to do U-picks and um, at the farmer's markets. And I typically was buying my strawberries, which were a variety called Honey Eyes. Um, that's a cultivar that was developed at, uh, in upstate New York. I was buying those berries from a Mennonite farmer named Nathaniel. And... Um, I, I certainly could have gone to do you pick, but I did not. And the reason I did not was simply that I didn't have a lot of money, and it seemed to me that the best way I could take care of, you know, best way to use that money was to give it to Nathaniel and let him do the work of picking, so that I had time to do the work of preserving. Now, remember, I was I was alone, right? And I didn't have any teenage daughters or sons to give me a hand or to go with me to pick berries. I didn't have a husband who would pitch in. So another family might make that call in a different way, and certainly I think U-picks are a spectacularly good way to obtain berries if you happen to have one. So you you gathered these berries and and you began to can them, but I know you also, or excuse me, you know, yeah, can them, but yep. you also were freezing them or dehydrating them, or you actually, yeah, I I do. Um, typically, I do with all the produce. I do all three, and the reason for that is. Um, Perhaps from a quality standpoint, you might think that frozen berries would be the best, and um, for some applications, they are the best. But the real estate in the freezer is pretty expensive. I mean, it's a limited amount of space that you pay a lot of money to keep cold. So in order to be able to, you know, I would typically put perhaps one or two gallon zip-top bags of whole berries in the freezer. That's all. Then the rest of them I would dehydrate, and I used dehydrated berries in, in, on top of my oatmeal, in granola, on cookies. Uh, I often would eat a handful as a snack in the late afternoon, and they dehydrate very well. They dehydrate with no loss of quality, and they're really delicious. It's a really nice way, and they, those, of course, can be um, just stored in jars at room temperature, lidded jars. Which you have a lot more room to do that, after all. So when you dehydrate the berries, are you dehydrating them whole? Are you slicing them? Are you doing them in the oven? 
Well, you can do them in the oven, although I happen to have a uh, an electric dehydrator. And no, you don't do them whole. You slice them about a half an inch thick, and uh, wherever possible, you lay them skin side down on the on the dryer rack or on a cookie sheet lined with waxed paper or parchment paper. And obviously, that slice in the middle, you're not going to be able to lay side uh, skin side down. Right. So don't don't get too cranked up about that. But um, Cut them um, about a half an inch thick, maybe err on the side of generosity. If the berry slices are too thin, they will stick. And um, then just, you know, dry them uh, at, uh, I think the lowest setting on my oven is about 200, maybe around 200 degrees. And I usually prop the door open with a wooden spoon if I'm using the oven to do dehydrating. In the dehydrator, you set the, the temperature for 130 for about two hours, and then you turn it down to 110 to 120. And you know when they're done because they're leathery. They're not shattering, but they're leathery, but there's no pockets of moisture anywhere. You can't see any moisture. Mm-hmm. And they taste so good because, of course, I think sometimes they're even sweeter because, of course, all of the, the liquid or, or moisture has evaporated. You know, I like dehydrating fruits. I have a dehydrator. I, I've had sort of equal success with the dehydrator and the oven. But I will tell you that one day I got on a kick that I was going to make my own raisins. Yep. <laughs> and you know what, Robin? That was just not the thrill I thought it would be. Well, no, you know, it's not. But um, obviously in Michigan, you know, there's... There's, there's some grape growing. There's a uh, wine industry in Michigan. Yes. But what I tend to use instead of grapes, I mean raisins, is dried cherries or dried blueberries. And, of course, I had plentiful access to both of those. Yes. Dried sweet cherries are every bit as good as commercial uh, purchased dried cherries. The, com- the commercial cherries are dried tart cherries that have been sugared. Mm-hmm. And so I figured, well... I think I'm just going to dry sweet cherries and skip the sugaring. So I think they're probably uh, slightly more healthful for me. Mm-hmm. But they're delicious, you know. And I, I I, have this pet African gray parrot who just loves cherries, and he really pounces on those dry <laughs> cherries when I put them in his dish. So. Uh, that's very fun. Well, and the blueberries, too. And all you have to do is spy a bag of dried blueberries at some place like Costco, and you'll see the price there. And then you say, hmm, maybe I'll pick some or buy some and dry them myself. You'll save buckets of money on that for sure. Yeah, you will. Yep. Now, if you're going to do blueberries, one step that a lot of people don't know about in dehydrating blueberries is it really helps if you'll do what they call checking the skins. And what that means is simply that you dip the blueberries very briefly in boiling water, and it um, removes a little bit of the bloom on the skin, and it helps them dehydrate more evenly. Oh, that's a great tip. But you don't have to do that with strawberries, only with blueberries. Okay, called checking the skin. I like that tip. Well, all of Robin's information obviously is in the book, stories about how she did get by on that $40 a week living locally. And the, the book is called The Feast Nearby Essays and Recipes by Robin Mather. And I will put all of Robin's information on amystable.com, but you can also visit thefeastnearby.com for more information. And Robin, I will think of you as I dry my blueberries and strawberries and cherries this summer. And I'm so glad that life's better now than in 2009. (laughs) 
you, Amy. And uh, if you're going to do any preserving, do try those whole strawberries in balsamic black pepper syrup. They're mighty tasty. Mm, oh, that sounds fantastic. That's in the book? It is. Awesome. Thanks, Robin. Thank you, Amy. Stick around for another helping from Amy's Table on Q102. Q. Q102.